This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Are you thinking about doing your own podcast, but you don't know how? Well, have you heard about Anchor? It's actually the platform that I'm hosting through this right now. And yes, it's free. Not only is it free, it's super easy to use. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more. It's really that easy. And guess what? You can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's a big deal. So it's really everything you need in one place to make an amazing podcast. All you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. In five, four, three. I, my voice cracked. Son of a bitch. Three, two, <laughs> one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. We have a very special guest here today, and I'm super excited. Now, I got to say, there are a very few people in this world that I meet instantly and I connect with super fast. And this piece of gay girl right here <laughs> <laughs> is here. Her name is Eunice. Hello, Eunice. Hi, David. It's so weird talking to you in a very formal setting. Because when we first met, I just started trashing you the first day that I met you. Oh, yeah. No, the first time you met me, you were really civil. Really? Yeah. In what way? Well, it was just you and me in the wardrobe room. And you were so nice and asking me about my life and everything. And then as soon as we were in front of other people, it was like... You know why? Eunice, your hands are massive. Well, it's because I was trying to be nice and keep you you comfortable. And then I saw your massive hands and it scared (laughs) the fucking shit out of me. You know that tsunami that happened in Japan was because you did a round of applause. (laughs) (laughs) That shit just destroyed. Oh, my gosh. So we the reason why I have Eunice... Well, number one, when we do the Genius Brain podcast, like I like bringing people that I personally know because I feel like everybody has personal stories. And this girl is giving me shit... Because it's Pride Month. And she goes, David, you should talk about Pride Month. And I'm like, yo, I could talk about that. But me not being a gay male, I, I don't have a lot of words for it. So like um, last week, we somebody asked a question. They go, what would you do if you were if you if one of your kids were gay? And for me, Ooh. the answer was very straightforward. It was nothing. Who cares? And move mm-hmm. on. Right. So I couldn't really put into words why that would be a big deal. Why did they ask the question? What was their perspective? There wasn't a perspective. They were just wondering, what would you do? And I, you know, cause we allow people to come onto this, this podcast and ask questions for us and see right. how we would handle that situation. But for me, I feel like because I'm a Cali boy and California is just, we're very liberal here. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really cross my mind as an issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't think, so if my kid was born gay, it's just kids gay. Well, I think you're so opinionated. So they probably asked that because they thought they would get more more of a response. Yeah. But. I mean, we tried talking about it and I guess because you know, we, it was me and two other people mm-hmm. and it, it was just, I wouldn't say I was at a loss for words, but it's not something that comes to my mind as an issue. Right. So yeah. it's just, so if my kid came out to me, he goes, dad, I'm gay. I'm like, all right, what do you want for dinner? You know, <laughs> you know, fucking move on. Well, I mean, that's really progressive of you. I don't know if it's really progressive. I feel like it's very Californian. Maybe. Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. Well, your situation is different. <laughs> Because my parents live in California, and it's that's a whole other story. I got to know about oh this gosh. just because I don't. I talked about this coming out story where my where my friend's brother uh, came out to us while we were playing like a basketball game. Okay, um, and it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't put any sad bags on there, but we <laughs> he got mad at us. because I guess he we ruined his coming out moment. But the reason why was because we knew he was gay. 
Right. right? And he goes, hey, I got something important to tell you guys. I'm gay. And we were just... Yeah, we fucking know. Move the fuck out of the way of the TV. You know, and we just oh kind of. Oh my god, that's so sad. <laughs> you know, and a huge. I think he's still upset with his brother till this day because he still mentions it in jest. But you know, to his brother's defense, it was we already knew and we already loved you. Right. So you're trying to make this big. This I don't know if you're talking to the right family because mom mm. and dad know. I knew. So you, I guess, in his mind, he goes. He's been very dramatic since he was a little kid, and he right. goes, "You're you coming out is not new to us." So. I guess for them, he wasn't trying to ruin his moment, but mm-hmm. he, he was more on his side was like, you're making a big deal out of nothing. You're you're gay. Cool. Move on. We're trying to play a game. Yeah, I think that goes two ways. Like one, you're not giving someone the space and the openness to show you who they are in a way that is safe for them. Mm. And on the other hand, I think I would have preferred that because it's just a form of acceptance. Yeah. That where it's just unspoken and they know something about you that you've held on to for so long and they just completely accept it to a point where it's like, well, we already know. Let's move on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I know. Like I said, it's, it's too a, weird. It's a phallic object. That, <laughs> something you're not weird. used to. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And so for in, in his in his mind, he was just. If you were trying to hide that you were gay, you did a very bad job. <laughs> it was like all, all of us. That's awful. All of us pretty much do, you know. And for us too, we all, we assumed that he was pretty open about it. But mm-hmm. I guess he wasn't quote unquote open because he never had that formal opportunity to tell his family. But they had yeah. gay they had gay people in in their family already. Oh, so, they did. So they're not. Are they Korean? No, they're Filipino. Oh. <laughs> so they they already had openly gay members in their family. So yeah. it wasn't something that was. A big deal. It's, you know, yeah. they've already went through this maybe a couple of times. Well, I didn't mention this in the podcast before, oh, but they that's... already went through it a couple of times. So it was, all right, your cousin's gay. You right, know? right, right, right. And his well, cousin nice. didn't have a coming out moment either. It was just, I'm gay, guys. It goes, cool. What do you want for dinner? Oh. You know. Well, that family's really progressive. Is it? I yeah. just, maybe I, I mean, I, I think for Korean people, it's difficult, right? For sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, what's it been like for you? I mean, I don't even know your. Let's just start from the beginning, only because oh, this is God. so this is so unique. Okay, and Go just on. because I feel like a lot of kids, they they may not know how to deal with this situation. Mm-hmm. When you were younger, and I'm sorry, let me turn off my phone. Uh, when you were younger, when when did you kind of? I don't I don't know how to ask this, but when did you know? Well, I think I knew. When I was about six, damn, that something wasn't quite right. Um, I think I think this is the really sad part is that society trains you to like certain people, and so when you're not exposed to certain things like the LGBTQIA plus world, the what? <laughs> it's like there's more letters being. What's added. IA? What's IA? It's intersex and asexual. What's asexual? Asexual means you're not attracted to anything? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> LGBTQIATLCAT. Tight. Right. We just put a plus sign there now. Oh, because there's going to be more. Well, possibly. I think it's an inclusive world, right? So Okay. anyone who's not cisgender and identifies with what society tells them is part of the LGBTQIA. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. We're going to move on. We'll come back to that later. (laughs) Okay. So I knew when I was about six and then I didn't really even explore it until college. Damn. 
And then I went to school in New York, so I was apart from my family, and it was a it was a chance to really kind of come out and come into myself. But I didn't even really explore it until the very end of New York. And then when I went to London to do my master's, that's kind of when I really allowed myself to discover that part of me of me. So when you you said from six all the way till you was that till you left the house? Yeah. You've never explored your what homosexuality for that many years? Yeah. At all. Like you just not at all. Did you think, did you know, so did you definitively know you were gay or you just thought that you just were a little different? I didn't really understand what it was. Yeah. So from six to 17, because 17 I left for New York, I had, I didn't even know anything about the LGBTQ world. Mm. Right? There's nothing around me that's, that has anything to do with homosexuality and everything that that's on TV or the radio. And, and I grew up in a really Christian household and my parents were extremely strict. Well, my dad went to work and my mom stayed home with us. So I remember when she'd leave the house, she'd be like, you guys have to read. So she'd tape up the electrical cords so we couldn't watch TV. Damn. Yeah. Like she was extremely strict. And then the radio, we didn't really listen to secular music until I mean, 15, 16. Man, you were really closed yeah, in. Yeah. That's crazy because yeah. my father's a pastor. And he didn't do that stuff. Yeah, actually, maybe 14 because high school is when my sister was two years older than me and she drove me to school. So obviously we had the radio and stuff. But yeah, before that, nothing. Damn. Yeah. So wait, when you're so, okay, so you didn't get to listen to secular music, <laughs> right? So no secular music. Your mom would wrap up the course so you couldn't watch TV or, or uh-huh. anything like that. And she would just make you, that's as stereotype Asian as fucking possible. It dude. is. Yeah. That was my, that was my upbringing. That's fine. Okay. Okay. So then after that, you went to, you went to college in New York and what were you studying? I studied design and management at Parsons. So oh, I actually went in for... <laughs> she just likes to slip that in, by the way. <laughs> no, I went in for um, advertising. Okay. Right. and But that was the time of Project Runway and it was really lit at the time. And so every resource at Parsons was in fashion. Okay. So initially I tried to fight that and resist it. And then ultimately, because every opportunity was in fashion, I ended up doing my first internship. Mm. And, and then I think it was an internship at Women's Wear in LA where I really fell in love with styling and I was able to, I mean, I didn't even know what it was. I really didn't know that the well pages of magazines were creatively, uh, creatively directed by these people. And so for me, once I discovered that and started really enjoying it, I mean, I was, a, I mean, I'm a really like stubborn, ch- I was really stubborn too. It was like, I like this, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And mm. I've kind of stuck with it. Yeah. So for you, when, after you left and you were in college and you went into, you went to London, was that like, I guess it was very permissive of you to just figure out who you were. Yeah. Right. Well, I gave myself the permission. Yeah. So it was finally, okay, I'm far enough from my parents now. Anything I do here, it'll be like carte blanche. I don't have to worry about, you know, like running into my parents or my parents' friends. There was no chance of that. So it really allowed me to be completely free. And in that way, and because of that, I came out to everyone around me very quickly. How was it? What what did that feel like? Did you cry? 
Yeah, I cried probably like the first 10 people I told I cried. Wow. What, <laughs> yeah. why, why, do you, why do you think you cried? Like what's the, what's the emotion and the feeling behind that? I think it's finally being able to reveal yourself. And I didn't really cry to new people. So, yeah. so in the beginning stages of when I was coming out, when I first met people, I felt like I had to immediately tell them. Like it was my, it was my duty because in case they knew me for five minutes or more, it's like I would have held on to this lie about myself. Oh. Yeah. Which is really bizarre. And, and now I don't tell anyone unless they ask me and I'm not ashamed of it, but I don't know why it's anyone's business or. Well, maybe it's because, you know, like you said, like because of the, the, the first few years of your life, everything felt like a lie. So in that moment, you just when you first meet somebody, you want that moment of honesty. Right. It's, it's not for them. It's more for yourself. It is. And so when I was coming out to people, so I had some friends come to London and then we'd go out. And the whole time in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to tell them that I'm gay. And I remember my friend Monique. <laughs> my friend Monique came in from New York. And I've known this girl the whole time I was at Parsons. I think she was the first girl I met at Parsons. Mm-hmm. And she came and we're sitting there. It's this out, outdoor pub. I just remember it so vividly. We were in Notting Hill. We're sitting outside. We, I, we must have like topped off like three bottles of rosé. And I, could, I, I didn't want to stop because in my mind I thought, okay, I just need this liquid courage to get through this. But then I was getting really drunk. Yeah. And you don't want to do that in, in a moment of reveal because your emotions are out of control. For sure. And so I finally get the nerve. I just couldn't take it anymore. I think it was like hour three. And I said, look, Monique, I'm gay. And she looked at me and she said, oh, that's good. Anyways. Like, yeah, no, but she didn't say anyways. Like she let me have it. But she really, and I remember feeling so appreciative and I still feel appreciative to her because I think that was, that was one of the benchmarks of how I knew how to come out to someone and knowing like, I know that the anticipation is a lot scarier than the actual words and the results. Mm. And so she said, you know, Eunice, I kind of, I kind of had an idea and her boyfriend um, at the time, who's actually still her partner now, he said he apparently had always known. Yeah. He goes, you're gay as fuck. He's what are you like, talking about? He was like, finally. <laughs> like, Thank, I knew you like vagina. <laughs> You've been looking at my fucking girlfriend like for the past three weeks. Stop oh, staring stop. at her. No, I was, fucking, this I, you know, mine. I was never attracted to any friends. For me, it was either I meet someone and I try to get to know them romantically immediately or it or you set develops like into a friendship boundaries. and then. I don't know. Like, do you ever feel attracted to your friends or no. feel like you could have a relationship with them? No, because when I, when I meet my friends and we kind of, when we meet in, in that type of way, mm-hmm. I know all the good and bad about well, them. Well, that's exactly it. <laughs> that's know? exactly it. So already in your mind, you're tainted goods. I'm like, I know, <laughs> like, I know way too much about well, you, dude. Like you are not somebody that I want to deal with. And, pl- mm-hmm. and, and I feel like for me, um, when I, my very first girlfriend was my best friend and that like, mm. it's almost like I knew too much about them. I think, yeah, I think that's a real roadblock to getting to know someone and developing feelings. Yeah. I think there's really incredible, I, I, I really respect people who develop this friendship and get to know the good and bad about someone and then still feel that attraction. Yeah. Because for me, that's never been the case. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, so 
when you <laughs> that's so interesting that when you when you kind of had like this very permissive moment you just want to tell her listen dude i'm gay i'm gay <laughs> yeah. by the way hey did i tell you i'm fucking gay <laughs> right but it's a it's a way of slipping it into the conversation and then you can kind of gauge their reaction yeah so I mean, in London, you're meeting new people all the time, like constantly. Yeah. It's not, I feel like LA is a really bubbled society where everyone has their friends from a long time ago and mm-hmm. everyone's had these long lasting friendships and everyone feels like new people want things from them. But in London, it's so free and open. When you meet someone, they could become your best friend the next day. Yeah. And so in this society, it was me telling new people, like people that, that I had no skin in the game with basically mm-hmm. and dropping it in somehow like well you know my my ex or something or you know just something where they get the picture of oh this girl is queer she's not she doesn't like men and um and i would just do that with everyone i met for a while is it offensive uh, is is gay an offensive term you know how like people have certain adjectives that they don't want to hear right is it would it be queer Cause I don't know. No, queer is like all encompassing. Okay. I think, and I think no, I think gay gets thrown around a lot, and I don't. I personally don't find it offensive. I think that there's this stigma with people in p- previous generations where. Yeah, I mean that was a slang word to use for everything. Right. I mean, when I was young too, we used "you're gay," "that's gay" for everything. Yeah. But when you're using it in the proper form now and i guess unless you're using it as an attack like it shouldn't be an offensive word yeah but i only speak for myself of course yeah i mean that's all anecdotal it depends on who you are it's like when like people uh, touch on this topic all the time it's like the usage of the n-word right some black people are okay with it some people aren't you just have to kind of feel out your social your social network to understand when that's what do you mean you using it no, I said black, when black people oh, use it. Oh, I see. With no, each but, other, right? No, but even like Asian or Mexican people, mm-hmm. right? Like in Sacramento, I grew up where everybody used that word. And yeah. till this day, everybody still uses really? it. Really? To this day? But like how I explained it too was the the odd part about it is people's incessant need to say it, right? It's right. So if somebody comes up, they go, yo, man, like I don't like it when you say that because it offends me. And then you come back with... Why not? It's more like, okay, well, what's your, what's the point of that? Like, mm-hmm. what's, what does that really do for you? And why do you need to say it? For example, for me, I grew up saying it my whole life and I've cut that down by like 99%. I'm not going to say that I don't use it. Mm. Uh, occasionally, every now and then when I'm with my friends from back in Sacramento, because everybody uses it, it, it just it slips out. Right. And they don't have a problem with it. Um, they even find it weird sometimes when we don't use it anymore. It's almost like, who are you trying to be? Because we grew up saying it our whole lives. Yeah. But you don't hear me saying it at all almost never right because times have changed and i'm a lot smarter about it because of the way it makes people feel so that's why i I, like for example i didn't know that uh tranny was an offensive term yeah i didn't know that we actually found out through a jk news episode (laughs) we're like oh well that tranny and then they were like oh Oh, and this person was there was somebody who was a part of this the uh, i guess a youtube that was a part of uh like the transsexual community were they transgender i don't know or they're just an ally i no, they were Okay. I think okay. And so they're super vocal Ooh, about it. They're like, yeah. they're just so insane. I was like, well, first of all, this was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And how, how would we have known? We wouldn't have known because it wasn't in the spotlight yet. So everybody was living in ignorance at that point. And this is prior to like YouTube yeah. really being big. And so my, my issue was that was instead of getting angry, you took a chance. You took an opportunity to educate us in the worst way possible because we didn't know. Right. And I think sometimes I get mad with people when I always look at intent. 
So if somebody's intent is right, but they just didn't know, then you should have that opportunity to let them. Well, let how them did know. you use? How did you use? Oh, we that just word? used the word tranny like it was normal. I was like, well, this person's a tranny. So I, <laughs> <laughs> we, at the time, I didn't know. I didn't fucking know. Right. Okay. You know. So it's for example, uh, I have a couple of friends from Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. They they were he he called he goes oh what Jap restaurant do you want to go to. And I was wow. like, he, but the, the dude didn't know that Jap was an, an offensive term for Japanese people. He okay. was just shortening Japanese, Jap, like, like Vietnamese and Viet. So, you know, did I, I didn't get mad at him, mm-hmm. you know, and I asked him, I was like, oh, did you know that's like an offensive term? That's like, like a World War II type of slang, like to a very derogatory term right. for Japanese people. He goes, oh, I had no fucking idea. I didn't get mad at him. Okay. It's just, there's a reason why he used that word yeah. because it didn't sound like he was trying to offend anybody. It just came out well, casually. I think it's circumstantial too, because maybe when you say it to him. He's like, okay, whoa, I should never use that again. But then you never know. Maybe the next time he uses it, it I mean, it, I guess it's. But you can't. You, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I can only do what I can do now, and I can't. I'm not responsible for what that person does after. Right. But I can take that moment to talk to somebody kindly about it. Sometimes too, I meet old people where they, where they say mad racist stuff, and I could tell that their intent is really nice, just because they grew up in a different time. So I'm not going to sit there and scold the 70 year old man for asking me what the best Chinese restaurant is around this area. You know, it's just more like, oh, right. it's just very innocent, and I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, intent goes a long way. Yeah. Um. Because it's just, I think there's a lot of missed opportunity for people to really speak civil to uh, somebody else about something that they don't know. And it just kind of creates like this big division, which I don't like, Mm -hmm. you know? So. I agree. Because back in the day, man, I used to word gay all the time. I mean, I feel like I must have too. Uh And not that I remember any specific moment, but we used to, I mean, that used to be one of our, our words. Yeah, it was our top word, dude. Yeah. It was gay and faggot. Faggot was a big one. Well, so was the R word. Retard? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I understand the whole retard thing because retard is a, you could use retard in a different way. Like not, maybe not for a person, but you could say like this, this, this phone is retarded. Because I don't know that you can say that. But what about if it's just an inanimate object? It's not a person. Is that, is that bad? Yeah. Why? Because I think it's because everyone's initial re- idea of what that word is is a disabled ch- like person i understand that but the word definitively can be used for to, as an adjective for things that i think that's if like something's askew right yeah like so if my phone is not like working this. but this phone is acting retarded <laughs> like i'm not, like i'm not I would, I would just say stay away from that. Well, my, I grew up with my mom calling me retarded my whole life, and it didn't really affect well, me that much. Know, she would always she call might me have just known something. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that means disabled. No, it means because you, you wouldn't say the you wouldn't use the R word for someone whose leg is broken, but you would say pyongshin for someone whose leg was broken. I think you would. So you got a retarded ass leg. <laughs> That's what you can say, right? Oh my god! I'm kidding, by the way, people. I'm just <laughs> making jokes. Hope so. People, people are like, Dude, this guy's a fucking asshole. Ooh. Yeah, but when you, what was um, I'm, I don't know if you're okay. I'm just gonna ask this oh. if you're okay. What okay. was the, when was the first time that you um, I guessed. Wait, did you did you date any boys? You know this? Yeah, I did. I had boyfriends in high school. I do, but I can't remember. And then in college, it was, so that was my moment of discovery of trying to. It's like, oh, penis. Ooh. 
Oh. It's like that thing is weird looking. It looks like a <laughs> like a baby's Gross. arm holding an apple. What is this? Is that are you describing something? <laughs> that's, what it, that's, what it, that's what a dick looks like. It looks like a baby holding a little baby apple. That's what it looks like. That's disgusting. With veins on it. A very muscular baby's arm. Ew. Did you, <laughs> so when you So when you were going through those experiences, it was just more like, you know, you don't feel like an emotional connection. You don't feel. I never felt, you know, this is really weird. And I've never actually talked to anyone about this, but I, there's a difference between connecting with for me with a woman versus a man in what sense with a guy sometimes and i don't know where this comes from and maybe it's because i'm innately born gay but for me as a when i meet with a man it's i feel a level of having a wall up and if they violate that space in any way it it scares me mm. And there's something, there's like a trigger in my body that's like, you're not safe. You don't, like, this isn't for me. It's really, it's bizarre. I can't really explain it. But I have a lot of really close friendships with males. But I don't ever think about anything further. Well, it's because you're gay. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, you. This is because you're gay. No, I understand, but I'm trying to tell you like this this alarm system that goes off. Because you're gay. <laughs> like when I when a, when oh a man comes up to me as a heterosexual male and he right. gets he gets an inch away from my face, an alarm system goes off too. He goes, "What well, the yeah. fuck are you doing?" So you get it then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's because you're gay. <laughs> well, okay. So going back to my childhood, so I was brought up, and my dad who I respect very much, he has always brought his children up to be, well, he has two daughters, so women of agency. So he's always said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You can be anything you want. And he's Mm -hmm. always encouraged us. And he's never put us down on any ideas that we might have about our futures. And I think because of that, we're really headstrong. But... um we're also really sure of who we are and what we want to be. And I think that directly contradicts to what my parents want from us now. But mm-hmm. now I'm like, well, it's a little, it's a little late. You yeah. know, we're, you were having us order our own food at restaurants at age four or five. Wow. That's amazing. Right. That's dope. Which is great because you feel this kind of independence. And now when I date someone who tries to order for me, I'm like, this is never going to work. Because I don't see it as chivalrous. I see it as someone who's trying to take my autonomy away from me. Damn, dude. You got some deep-seated issues, homie. <laughs> when, when I'm at a restaurant and somebody goes, I'm going to order for him, like, then you also going to pay, bitch. Because <clears throat> if I don't like this, I ain't paying for this shit. <laughs> I hope you can take that responsibility, too. <laughs> That's all you have to do. You just got to throw it right back in the face. They go, you know what? I got this. It's like, cool. You also got the bill, too, then, motherfucker. <laughs> what the fuck? Order me this bullshit that I didn't want. Oh, God. But but now I think it's kind of coming back to them in a really negative way because they're unable. Well, I, I wouldn't say they're unable to respect us. I think that right now it's a lot of confusion. I came out to my, par- my mom last February. She was actually right. the first family member um, outside of my cousins that I came out to. So when I came out to my mom, I had a level of... I mean, I was terrified. The whole drive over to my house, I was sobbing, like just sobbing because 
essentially my mom had called me um, a week before and she said, who is this woman? Who is this woman that you're always hanging out with and running to whenever she calls? And you're like going on trips together. Like what's happening? I just get this really weird feeling. And at the time I was in Virginia and my heart, I remember I was in the car, I was in the passenger seat and my heart just dropped. And I knew this is the conversation that I've been waiting to have with my mom for a really long time, like the better part of a decade. Right. And I'm like, I can't believe it's come down to a feeling like a maternal feeling that she's had. And she's asking me these questions frantically over the phone. And I just said, my heart's racing. And I just remember saying, okay, I'm back in California tomorrow. Let me go home and then I'll come visit you. Oh, shit. And she said, okay, well, please, yes, please, please, please call me back. Um, call me tomorrow before your flight. Please, Eunice, like, I just, I need you to do this. And I was like, okay, I'll just call you later. I couldn't call her that whole day. And the next morning, I wake up, my hands are sweating. I've packed everything to go. I can't stop crying. And I'm just feeling like this moment of reckoning, right? It's like, she's going to disown me. I'm not going to have any family members anymore. And for me, that's a huge blow because my mom's like my best friend. And so... I go back to LA. I'm crying. And at the time too, I had just come out of a relationship. So I was in the midst of a breakup. And. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a whole story. To that. We don't, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't, don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. We don't yeah. have enough time for that bullshit. No, no. Plus I'm still mad at you for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I go home. Um, you know, I was living with Susan. Yeah. And Lydia and Ellen came over to my place. I think I think they came over like every night before I went home. And I was like crying, telling them, you know, I have no family anymore. I don't know how I'm going to tell my mom. And I remember it was, I think Susan or Ellen said something like, you know, give your parents a chance. Give them a chance to surprise you. Because if you walk in there defeated, you're, you know, like there's no positive outcome to this. Yeah. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Right. And I just thought, okay, maybe I can tell my mom. I don't think I'm prepared to tell the rest of my family. So I'm. So anyway, cut back to me crying in the car, like praying, praying for an hour, saying, please help me. Like, I don't know what to do. I feel completely hopeless and lost in this situation because essentially I've like lived my life very freely and the way I wanted for a decade. And now I'm having to go home and explain myself. And this is someone that I've known for 31 years. And now I'm telling her, you actually don't know me whatsoever because here's this massive thing that I've been hiding. And I remember that night that the girls came over, my mom had sent me a cacao. Oh yeah. Cacao is like this Korean messenger thing for people who don't know. And she said in Korean, she goes, Eunice, my heart, every time I think about you, my heart is broken open and tears stream down my face because I love you so much. Something like that. Like really, Dramatic really ass extra. Korean, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, but of course at the time too, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be breaking my mother's heart. Like that broke me. And then that would cause more. T and then essentially when you cry so much, your eyes are so used to crying, you can't stop crying. And then the it, anyway, it's this horrible, vicious cycle. So I'm home. 
Um, my dad greets me at the door. He's just like, hi, yay, Eunice is home. And then I'm like, hi, dad. My heart's like, and then my mom's like, I'm cooking in the kitchen. So I'm like, okay, this seems, this seems fine. Like, this is normal. Um, we go into the kitchen. My mom's like, okay, food's almost done. She's completely avoiding eye contact with me. I'm so nervous. I don't know how to behave in that moment. Um, and my dad's just rambling on and on. He's like asking me about my work and asking me about my life. And that kind of calms me down because now we're talking about something that doesn't have anything to do with mm. that. And I'm like, well, maybe dad doesn't know yet. So this is good. And then we're eating and my dad and I are really getting on. And then my mom is silent. And my dad looks at her and he goes, hey, why are you so quiet? Why aren't you saying anything? And she looks up and she goes, Eunice and I have a few things that we need to talk about oh before my God. before I can join in on this conversation. Heart drops, food plops out of my mouth. It was like, oh my God. I, my dad immediately goes, okay, great. See you later. Runs out of the kitchen. He's scared. He goes, upstairs, right? Oh, all yours. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, why do we have 17 locks on the door? <laughs> He runs upstairs. I'm like, okay, clearly he knows something, (laughs) right? But he's not willing to be a part of this conversation right now, which is better for me because I was so uncomfortable. And so my mom starts talking. And the first thing she says to me is, you know, Eunice, I've been doing a lot of research. And the first thing that I wanted to tell you, and I think this comes from a a nervousness too. And when I realized that and I clocked that, it's not just me who's nervous. She's Mm. equally as nervous. Yeah. She's like, I read on like Korean, like Naver, which is like Google, um, that homosexuality is harder to get out of than drugs. And, and, and I was like, that's so funny. And I was like, okay, mom, can I just please, please stop you right there? She's like, yeah, okay. And she like shuts up and she's staring at me and she's so much like fear behind her eyes. And I said, look, mom. Cause she wanted you just to say, I'm not gay. Right. And I said, your, I said, look, I've known that I, there was something different about me since I was six years old. And the whole drive from L.A. to my parents' house, I told myself, don't cry when you're coming out to your parents. Because when you cry, it takes away from the severity and the realness and the authenticity of what you're feeling. You really think though? So? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I was always brought up to be like, "Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry." But also, I think the, there's a vulnerability in crying. But there's also a moment where, when you're telling someone something that means that that means something real, and I don't, I don't know. There's something about that moment where I felt like I need to tell you in a way that you understand, and I'm going to be very logical. And explanatory about this, and I'm going to be patient and sit here and listen. But the last thing I wanted to do was be like a puddle, mm. right? And so I'm telling her I knew since I was six years old, and all of a sudden, I'm I without any prompt, I'm like sobbing, yeah. like full sobbing, <gasps> like I can't breathe. Mm. My mom gets up, and I'm like, holy shit, she's gonna hit me, or she's gonna be like, she's gonna drag me out. But I'm so, I'm just so upset with myself for crying. And I'm also just so, I don't know. I was just a, I was so just emotional. A wreck. Yeah. My mom reaches over me and I'm like bracing myself. She grabs these napkins and she's standing over me and she starts wiping my face. Mm. 
And she, and I can feel her tears just, oh my gosh, now I'm going to cry. But I can feel her tears like hitting the top of my head, which in turn makes me sob harder because I never want my mom to cry because of me. I never want her to feel anything but pure joy and happiness when she thinks of me, right? And she starts wiping my face and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you've had to like live with this for so long by yourself. And, and then she's like, and then she's, and then she kind of, and I felt like, oh my God, she, she gets it or she's sympathizing. And then she says, and I'm so sorry, it's my fault. Mm. And I think that's when the tears kind of stopped. Cause I said, it's not your fault. And I really need you to understand that it's not your fault. It's no one's fault. It's just the, it's just what it is. And then we kind of digressed. And then she started to ask me more pointed questions about my sexuality um, in the coming days. And I thought, wow, there really is like light at the end of this tunnel. And then it just went south. But that was more recent. Well, she doesn't get it still? Or she doesn't, she's not accepting of it? I think, I think Koreans do this thing where they try and justify anything negative um, with an explanation, right? Mm. So it's like, your daughter wants to marry a white dude. It's like, at first it kills them. And then they think, and then finally they come around. They're like, well, he's, well, he makes really good money. He treats her well. Oh, like, yeah, da, 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 yeah, da. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like this justification system. And I think with my mom, at first it was like, she saw me and she sees her daughter who she loves so much in pain and having this, having held this burden for 30 years. And so she sympathized and she understood intuitively. And then when she thought about it in the weeks or months, to come, she kind of backtracked and it was like, how do I explain this? Like, what do I do with this? Who's going to understand this? Like, I think that's where she's stuck right now. And for me, I don't need her to justify it or explain it. I just, I just want her to accept me for who I am. Does your dad know? I, yeah. Yeah. How's he, he taking does. it? My dad is, he, well, okay, I probably shouldn't mention this, but he was extremely homophobic when we were growing up. Like like every male Korean, older male Korean man I've ever known, except for my dad. Really? My dad's very um, whatever about a lot of things. Mm. So I remember when, um, you know, when, what was it? Prop, uh, fucking. Prop 8. Prop 8 came Mm -hmm. out, right? And then somebody put the whole, you know, whatever band prop eight shit on our lawn because my dad's a pastor my dad didn't even know what it was he goes what is this <laughs> and they're like oh we don't want gay people to get married my dad's like why <laughs> you know, you know, he's, a pastor. Your dad a pastor? he's a pastor but for him thing for his thing is like whether you give somebody permission to get married or not mm-hmm. doesn't change the fact that they're gay so either way if it's like just from the Christian perspective, is like they're still gay, whether they get married or not. It doesn't make a difference, right? So my dad's my dad's very just like say la vie about that type of stuff. Kind of just that's nice. what what maybe that's why I don't care. <laughs> you know, what do you think he would have said if he found out you were gay? 
I don't know. I mean, it would mm. be a very tough time. I, I put him through some shit though. So right. me coming out as gay is just, it's probably a lot nicer <laughs> than all the other stuff I put him through. You know, if he, if I would have exchanged all the yeah. fights, all of the, you know, expulsions, everything else for me being gay, I think he would switch it. He goes, okay, just be gay. <laughs> you know? But I think, right. I mean, for sure, if it's a personal thing, if it's yeah. his family as a, as a, as a Christian pastor, mm-hmm. for sure, it would, it would fuck him up. And it would be something that he would have to go through. I don't know if he would disown me per se, but it would be hard for him to understand. But for me as an individual, I love my parents, but I can never live a lie. I I couldn't even fucking finish college because they asked me to. What the fuck do you think I would do about me coming out as gay? It would just been, hey, man, dick's my thing. You know, I like dick. Yeah. If anything else, we'll meet halfway. I'll find a gay Korean guy. You know, we'll just do halfway. Well, I think that's really nice. But I also think that it's much harder in practice. Oh, so, oh I'm not. Yeah. I'm definitely not downplaying it. It's right. going to be very difficult. Of course. So in theory, you think, God, I could never lie to them about anything. I mean, I used to call my, even after knowing my sexual identity and coming to terms with it on my own as a Christian Korean woman, I spoke, to, I mean, I spoke to my mom like two times a day. We have a very strange relationship, but it was never something I could tell her. And I used to always say, I'm not going to tell her unless I have found the partner that I'm going to end up with for the rest of my life. So it's like a double whammy. Yeah. It's like, I'm gay and I'm going to get married. So you're just going to destroy her on the spot. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a very, very kind but of But it was you, the only way that I knew how to deal with it. And I thought, well, what if I end up being single my whole life? Now I've just destroyed my mother, probably took years off of her life. And then now I'm telling her, oh, but couldn't find anyone. So. Yeah. So what's the point of putting someone through that in the Korean community? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of there's a lot wrong with that. But in the Korean community, I think that's the preference. Yeah. I I mean, to play the other side, I mean, not to play the other side, but just to have a little empathy for your parents. And I think a lot of people, when they hear stories like this, they just immediately want to trash parents. But it's it's hard when you grow up a certain way your whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for those, it's it kind of works both ways, right? So in the sense of they go, some people might hear this and they go, oh, Eunice's parents is, parents are terrible. But at the same time, it's just like in the same way you have your identity of being a homosexual person. These people, though it's not something they were born with, it's something that they've lived with with their whole life. And now it's that they have to change their perspective immediately. It's going right. to be a struggle. So there has to be empathy on that side oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I definitely don't want to allude to the fact that my parents are bad people like in my heart i understand their perspective yeah and i think that's why it makes it harder for me because i fully understand and empathize with their perspective yeah but there's this real lack of being able to open their minds even a tiny bit to mine but that of course comes from their own experience you know like it it makes total sense to me. So there's no villain in this. It's just it's just us trying to come to some kind of understanding with each other. I mean, they're going to have to if they want yeah. you to stay in their lives. I mean, they're just going to just continue to ignore you forever. I mean, what what is the what <laughs> is the point of that, right? Because they're taking right. it as a personal betrayal, and it's not personal. It's personal to you, but it shouldn't be personal to them or anybody else, right? That's in your family that's going to take it that way because that's how people see a lot of things. When they see somebody go through something else, they just think about, oh, this is what I'm going through, but it's not about you. 
you know, the whole coming out process wasn't about you and your identity. It was about my thing. The ripple effect is that you're affected by it. Mm-hmm. And that's just a hard thing for people to swallow. Right. Well, I know we digressed, but so my dad was extremely homophobic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, he's actually been handling it in the most gracious way possible. So I've never outrightly told him anything, but he is very aware of the situation. He um, goes, you were gay since day one. <laughs> I don't think so. You're over here, just two but, Barbie dolls and no Ken. You know, when I was in my late 20s, every day, every time I'd see him, he'd say, oh, Eunice, when are you going to meet a boy? You need to start a family. And like my dad, like that's so weird because usually it's the moms doing that. And ever since that day, he has never said anything like that to me again, mm-hmm. which I think speaks volumes and he's also, he, he doesn't, I don't know if he's uncomfortable with it and I'm really, I'm really nervous to approach him with it because, because it's never been discussed, but he shows so much more love and kindness towards me. I mean, he always has, but I feel like particularly more since this whole experience with my family and he's just what I hear from my sister is that he realizes that this isn't something that he can change. And if it is something that he can perhaps change, which, you know, he can't, it's through prayer. Right. But maybe it's not my changing, but it's his heart. Yeah. And so, of course, I can't tell you what he's praying or what he's wishing for. But what I know is that he has he's been so patient through this whole process he's never said anything out of line he's stopped asking me about guys he's just been he's been such an incredible like silent support that it just took me to an it it developed like a new level of our relationship probably harder for your mom because you're a lot closer to her so everything just hurts a little more yeah i mean your dad is it's it's different with people who are closer to you. It's like even when you're in a relationship, mm. um, your friends can joke about the same thing. But if you're with the person you're with jokes about some shit like that, it might affect you a little differently. Right. right. right? That's how it is with me and Mariel. Like I'll <laughs> I'll say a joke that literally maybe one of her friends said and reference it, and she's mm-hmm. like, "What the fuck?" And I'm like, "Hold on a second, Becky said the same thing. You can't, <laughs> Becky. Yeah, Becky said the same thing. You can't. She said she was yeah, but with the way Becky said it, it was funny. I was like, I saw just repeat her joke. What's going on? That's so true. That's so true. People closest to us can definitely have a way. Yeah, of just anybody us. who's closest to your heart. For some reason, you interpret it the wrong way every fucking. Or maybe time. we just take our relationships with them for granted, and it's like, well, it doesn't matter if I get upset. I can reveal my true self because they're going to come around and they're going to understand me. They know me. Not me. You mistreat me. I'll cut you out for life like a cancer. But actually, do you know what today is? What. It's the three-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre. You call that an anniversary? Well, I mean, <laughs> it is an anniversary. What is it? What is that? It's the Orlando shootings during Pride. Oh, it's been three fucking years? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you do we label that as an anniversary? Well, is, I there's think probably another word for that's it. That's recurring as an anniversary, like the anniversary of 9/11. Like that's a thing. Oh, is, is, do you call it an anniversary? I think so. The remembrance, the Right. I mean, I guess anniversary does allude you know to something nice. It is, it is nice. the 3-year celebration of the massacre <laughs> no! that happened. That was the Orlando Gay Club, right? Yeah. And somebody's Was it was it a hate crime though or was it just because that guy was crazy? No, it was I mean it was definitely a hate crime. 
was it? I can't remember what that article was about, but there was some weird, interesting story about it. I heard it was a, it was a dude that got would reject. I, I, I'm actually, you know what? I'm not gonna say anything because I might be fucking this <laughs> up. But in my mind, how I remember it was the guy that shot up the place was right. somebody that they assumed was about to come out. Like he was, and he he was mentally unstable, but he was gay. I don't because they said that. that he frequented that club a lot, but he wasn't openly gay. But um, it, it was some kind of weird thing like that. Well, he was a 29-year-old security guard yeah. called Omar Mateen. It was, some, it was a weird story. Don't quote me on that shit. I might be making this into a way more interesting he story. He swore than allegiance to ISIS. Okay. I heard some weird shit, though. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely fucking up the story. Was he also an ice cream man? No, I'm not fucking <laughs> wrong. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Well, apparently here it says like he didn't know it was a gay nightclub. Oh. But I, I don't know. It's interesting, man, how how there's so much tragedy going on in this world and how much is publicized. Right. After a while, I get I got desensitized to a lot of this stuff. And it's kind of sad because 9-11 has stuck in my fucking head. Mm-hmm. And it's like stuck in my head for the rest of my life, right? Right. But we just had a even bigger massacre in Vegas with that shooter, right? right? Some people don't even remember it. I'm talking about it. And they go, what was that? And it's insane. You know, I was in, that's so funny you mentioned that because two weeks ago I was in Vegas for Memorial Day holiday and we took a lift after the Penn and Teller show um, to go back to the Venetian and we had this like nice guy in like a dress shirt buttoned to the top like blonde from the midwest and we were talking and we were stopped at this massive intersection and all of a sudden like seven police cars started going and they cut through the intersection and no one could cross and he like had this visceral like reaction to it and we were looking at him like uh are you okay and he's like oh my god i just i have i think i have ptsd and we're like, right, okay. And he was telling us about it and how terrifying it was for everyone. And, you know, that's an experience I'm sure he's never going to forget, yeah. right? But I, I think with the internet now, we hear so much. And unless it directly impacts us, like we all know where we were at 9-11 when that yeah, happened. I know exactly where I was. Yeah, me too. It's insane that that ripple effect is crazy because even that Orlando massacre thing, it, mm-hmm. I think prior to social media and this, everything being so just put out there all the fucking time mm-hmm. when these uh, catastrophic events happen it just sticks in our memory right and i'm not i'm not trying to you know do comparison in terms of like catastrophic caliber to diff- all these different events right. but what i'm saying is like those are still huge you know yeah i know it was an attack on our 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 country mm-hmm. like 911 was but still the biggest massacre in the united states till this day happened in vegas and there are people who don't remember it I actually think the biggest massacre was um, Pulse. I I think I think it was the Vegas one. I think it was labeled as the bit. We could look at it right really? now. Really? Let's look at it. Well, how much money do you want to put on that? Okay, <laughs> no, this is no a very money. bad. This is a very let's bad just, bet. I know this is a terrible, terrible okay. bet. Okay, let's see. I my phone's just gonna start giving me weird suggestions, but face slap. That's the bet. Here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> I did not agree to that. In US. If you face slap me, I'm losing all my teeth. <laughs> <You're> so- <laughs> Those big ass hands of yours. Wait, we might we might both be wrong. Oh really? 
Okay. Wow. There's a lot. This oh. is a really. This is actually a really. It's very sad, list. isn't it? Yeah. It's very sad. I don't like this at all. Okay. Let's see. That's the craziest thing. I don't know. And then, you know, when when events like this happen too, there's just this whole talk about gun laws and gun restriction, and I don't even know what the fuck to feel about that. There's so many different sides to it. Okay, wait. If it's between those two, you're right. In your face. Because it's 50... I don't know. Do you want to hear these? Yeah, I would like to because it's important. Okay, so the Vegas shooting, which was in 2017, October 1st, was 59, including the gunmen, and then 851 wounded and 422 of them from gunfire. Yeah. See, that's a fat difference. And then um, Orlando, which was 2016, June 12th, it was 50, including the gunmen, which is still, I mean, it's that's crazy. crazy. That's fucking insane. Because you're, I mean, you're also limited to like an, like a closed in space. Like, yeah. where are you going to go? Nowhere. But it's then, terrible. Yeah, I mean, both scenarios, it's terrifying, right? <sighs> that's but, why I don't go to concerts. I don't do nothing. Oh, my God. Like, you just feel, in those movie theater shootings, that really traumatized me. I remember going to film after that happened, just being like, okay, I need to be Dude, aware of where I am. There was this kid, um, when I went to Colorado uh, to do a stand-up show, mm-hmm. I went back to that college the the same time next year for the same same event. So when I was in Colorado... This kid came up to me and um, I don't know if he's going to be listening to this, but he was hes a fairly large kid, bigger than I was at the time, mm-hmm. um, just palm sweaty because I shook his hand. He's just shaking. Right. He couldn't make eye contact. He was looking at the floor and he came up to me and he goes, he goes, this is my uh, first time that I ever left my, the, my, my bedroom in a long time. And I was like, what, why? Like what happened? He goes, I was in that theater in Colorado when that shooting happened and I <gasps> haven't been able to leave my bedroom since. And I came out to the show to come see you because of, you know, you make me laugh. You make me feel better. Wow. And I, I was fucking mind blown. Right. And he says like, well, since then I gained a lot of weight and I'm trying to, this is a part of why I was losing weight too. And he goes, I want right. to lose weight. So the next year I came back to Colorado. Uh, this kid came up to me just full of energy, very mm-hmm. bright, whatever. He comes up, he goes, Hey man, do you remember me? And I was like, nah, man, I, I don't remember you at all. He goes, I was that kid that was in that Colorado shooting, the theater shooting last year. Wow. And he, completely different person he lost like i don't know how much weight he lost like 60 70 pounds wow and he just was a completely different person that's awesome yeah and it's so weird too because you know during that time i mean that kid doesn't even know but i, w- I was always in a space of whether i should stay on youtube or leave right and you know because i had my uh sight set on something bigger or greater in my opinion of what, whatever that is but hearing those personal stories always continued for me no matter what i'm doing to still put up content on youtube just because yeah, it's not like an end goal for me, but there, there there's this positive effect that it has on on young people that it's just kind of hard for me to step away from. Yeah, definitely. Because you hear those type of stories and you never think that what you say or what you do will affect them in that type of way. Because humor for me is something that I think it's it's very cathartic, right? So it takes a lot of these bad situations. That's why I don't like it when people say you shouldn't joke about this, this and that in comedy. Mm-hmm. Because just because it makes doesn't make you laugh or makes you feel bad right. doesn't mean that it's not helping somebody else. Because mm-hmm. some people just need that need to joke about serious things in a certain way to get over it. That's how I think a lot of people deal with their issues. So in the comedy club anyway, in the comedy club scene, maybe not so much in videos or whatever. You should be a little smarter about that. But in the comedy club in the writer's room, I think you should allow people to say their things and kind of work it out. But yeah, look at that. Well, you know what? Time's already up. See how fast that was? Wow. 
And you didn't cry. I told you you weren't going to cry, you heartless bitch. Oh, I was bitch. so close. I know. I didn't, I didn't probe you, though, because you said you didn't want to cry because you've been crying no, all week. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I would have I just asked the right question. Okay, well, I'm not going to respond, but what would have been a question? No, I just would have done follow. I just let you speak and then let it happen. <laughs> I was going to make you cry, though. I swear to God. I just do it for the views, baby. <laughs> I'm kidding. But see, this is what I'm talking about, why I said I couldn't do a video on this because I don't have this type of insight about coming out. I don't know what that's like. I love how, like, I'm the authority of gay for you. It's not authority, but it's a very, <laughs> you are my authority because you are the closest gay person that I know. Like, you're, like, my one of my tight friends. Everybody else is an acquaintance. And so I don't really care uh, to ask them too much or I don't feel close enough to ask them to tell the personal story, mm. you know. And your situation is very unique, especially because you're a Korean-American and you grew up in a Christian household. Yeah, do you know what's funny? After, because well, I was so, like, shocked and relieved from it and I was telling my friends because they were like, well, what happened? Are you okay? And Vi- do you know Vivian Bing? She did White Rabbit. She played Jenny in uh, oh, okay, yeah. the new Ellie Wong film. Yeah. She goes, Eunice, can I, can I write a film about your experience? And I was like, I... No, (laughs) absolutely not. I was like, I need to protect my family right now. And I don't think that's a good idea. People always ask that shit. You know, when you tell a story, it's like, oh, dude, can I write something? No, you fucking (laughs) cannot. You piece of shit. Absolutely not. It's my personal story. I'm going to write that shit. (laughs) It's my fucking story. Yeah. But see, this is so cool, though, because I like bringing people in. Yeah, I mean, we I could always joke about stuff and make make jokes, which is fine, and people enjoy that too. But I don't know. This is something that I just don't know anything about. I don't know what it's like. Just fucking scissor, dude. Just bow, bow, bow. You know, that's the joke part. Uh, <laughs> that's I just... like it too because you let me make these jokes. It makes me laugh. It makes me feel good. I mean, if it makes you feel good, then hey. I know, but let me tell you something. If you ever need to fool your parents that you married a man, right here. Well, let's just get this out there. You're giving me your sperm, right? Okay, perfect. You're gonna we're gonna have these big handed babies. <laughs> these huge big handed babies. David, your hands are massive. Well, it's appropriate to my size, but your hands are the same size as mine. When I hold your hands it, David, our hands are not the same size. When I hold your hands, it feels like I have a third arm. <laughs> <laughs> Are we done here? <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, you can catch us on Spotify, iTunes, all these other stuff. CastBox. If you're on iTunes, leave us that five star. Remember to comment below and share and uh, let me know what you want us to talk about. And uh, Eunice. Oh, by the way, if you don't know who Eunice is, I work with her on Gook. Um, what she does is that she dresses people up. <laughs> yes, so. <laughs> Tell them what you do. Oh, let me get these. You don't, you don't have to have I don't a mic. Do yeah, you don't have to. That's um, not how it might Well, I'm work. a costume designer. See, that's the word I'm looking for. Costume designer slash stylist. Yeah, so she made gook happen with the minimal budget that we had, which was fucking pennies. So this lady right here, though, is a fucking G. She works on a lot of big shit. You could tell she went to New York and London, (laughs) you know. This bitch over here, when I first met her, she goes, I want some aubergines. I was like, what'd you say? That is just a flat out lie. Can I? And I need some rocket. You fucking, you grew lie. up in California and you said rocket, I feel like bitch. you need to extend this session because we need to get into a debate over this. We could, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that next time when I invite you. And I definitely got to bring Susan on too so we could just oh, rag on you together. I fucking love that yeah. girl, by the way. She's hilarious. She's so funny. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next time.